Welcome to those of you joining us online. We're so glad that you chose us to log into and watch today. Thank you very much. Um, so we've started a series that's called Start Finish. Uh, last week, Shelly rocked it. She rocked it with Start. Yeah, that's right. She rocked it with Start. And um, this is the second week of our series. We're going into Finish. Um, but she led in with Seek. Seek ye first the kingdom. Perfect place to start. Right? And, and these things will be added. And she ended with an anointing in that that you guys need to know that you carry the anointing already. It's already in you. It's endowed in you. So we started with seek and ended with that you hold the anointing, which is take us perfectly into where we're going today, which is finishing in the spirit. Finishing in the spirit. So we're going to open with um, the church in Galatia, in Galatians, and Paul's letter to what they were saying, to, to what he was saying to the church in Galatia. So we have Galatians 3, verses 1 and 3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Are you so foolish, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So what was happening here is that Judaizers, people that were pushing Jewish law on Christians, they believed in Christianity, they believed in the power of the Spirit, but they were influenced by law, by the law of Moses and by everything that, that, that came before Christ. So they're called Judaizers. They came in and they were corrupting the teaching of the gospel, the teaching that they had planted the church on, the foundation in which they had built. And they were throwing this church into confusion and disarray. They claimed that the church needed to recognize works of the law, for example, circumcision. They needed, they were saying that that's, that's one of the only ways to be recognized, and salvation was tied to these works, right? And they were nullifying the works of the cross by implementing things that the Lord did not design for them to happen. So Paul let them have it. He asked them, who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you? Who has made you believe these things that you didn't start with? He even called them fools. You foolish Galatians, right? They were told it's not enough by these Judaizers that you have to do more, that what you started in isn't enough, that the cross of Christ isn't enough, that you have to pull from rituals that have no bearing on salvation, that have no bearing on the blood of Jesus, that have no bearing on the walk of a believer, but you have to now pull those in and embed them into your foundational structure as a church. So when they, what they began, they began in this spirit, and they were starting to pull from another source. So the people had made sense to them, and they, be, they believed and began to act on these things. They put aside the power and embraced works. They began to pull from another source. The church started in heaven and was now trying to finish by earth. They started in the spirit. They started this Galatian church in power, and they were now trying to finish by means of the world, by the world's power. No longer the power of Christ, but the power of rituals and laws. So this takes us into where we're going today. So I'll propose a couple questions to you. What have you started in partnership with the Holy Spirit and are now trying to finish by means of the flesh? What have you started in Christ's power and are now trying to finish by your own or the world's power? Maybe it's your own business that's struggling or a job you can't see future or hope in. Maybe it's a relationship you can't seem to commit or trust. Perhaps a marriage that the light of love has gone out. 
Maybe it's parenting a rebellious child or struggling with finishing school and the financial aspects of it. The thing is, you started in kingdom and direction from the Holy Spirit. You started strong, but something happened. Now you're pulling from another source. You're listening to another voice. So who or what has bewitched you? What has set you off the course of the Spirit and has pulled you to the course of the world? You planted strong, you started in power, but now you're leaning on something because it makes sense, because it seems wise, right? So who or what has bewitched you? Is it outside voices? Is it your own voice? Is it your emotions? Is it worldly wisdom? Or is it an insurmountable obstacle or circumstance? Is it something you just can't overcome, something you can't face? What is it? So questions we'll attempt to answer today. How do you get back on track? And how do you align and finish where you started, which is in the spirit, to take it all the way through? That's what we're going to delve into today. Amen? Amen? Amen. So first up, understand the trial. First thing you have to do in the situation, understand the trial, whatever the circumstances. The road to destiny, future and fullness in and with the Holy Spirit is paved with hardships and trials. The sooner you know that, the sooner you can move forward. The moment you have destiny, the moment you have fullness, the moment you have a purpose in your life that is, that is led and guided by the Holy Spirit is the moment all the hardships and trials begin to pop up along the way. You may not see all of them, but they're there. And the idea isn't to bypass them, go around them, fly over them. It's to go directly through them. Because going through those trials is what takes you and strengthens you for your destiny. So you have to push through it. How do we do that? First thing to understand is what the purpose of a trial is. What is the purpose, the heart of a trial? The purpose and the meaning of a trial is to end trials. Let's say that again. The purpose of trials is to end trials forever. The idea is to go through a trial and attain enough information, attain enough wisdom, knowledge, authority, perseverance, so that you never face that trial again. Does that mean you'll never have another trial? No, but that means that that thing is no longer a trial. No longer a trial. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The last part, mature and complete not lacking anything. The purpose of trials is to end trials so that you are mature, complete, lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. And have gained everything from the trial. That's the goal. That's the idea. So the first part, consider. First word. He opens with the word consider. Consider. That means you have to step back and look at the trial. You have to consider it. You have to think about the trial. It says consider it pure joy. So you have to look at the trial and say, I'm going to face this with joy. But what is joy? What is joy? Joy is not happiness. I'm going to say that again. Joy and happiness are not necessarily the same things. Happiness comes from happenings. Something good happened to you. I'm happy. Something bad happened to you. I'm sad. Those are emotional triggers. There's an up and there's a down. Joy does not have that trigger. Joy comes from the spirit. 
It's a fruit of the Spirit. Joy comes from within, which is why you can have joy in great sorrow and in great pain. You're pulling from something else. That's the Holy Spirit within you that is filling you with joy. You can have immense joy in great sorrow and pain. One of the greatest hymns, one of the most powerful songs ever written was written from a point of pain, but in the point of his greatest joy. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. In tears, he wrote that as as his family died in front of him. In the moment, that's when the hymn was created. In his greatest moment, he pulled joy out of a place of tremendous tragedy. But all he could do is rejoice in the Lord. That's what joy is. You can have it in the moment of intense suffering, intense pain, or chaos, or a storm, or a struggle. That's joy. But understand what it is. Understand where you're pulling it from. It's not happiness. So the Lord allows trials. He allows trials to build something in you. For example, for husband and wife, for example, the Lord will allow a husband and wife to have trials to break off deceptions, to to understand each other on a soul level, right? To operate in oneness so that they'll never have miscommunication again. He'll create things among them to build them to a place where miscommunication is no longer an option. And then that trial is done. Husband and wife, miscommunication is done with. We don't ever cross that bridge again because that's no longer our trial. We've overcome. That's what a trial is. And that's how you get through it. You can't run from trials. You must face them. You must face the trial head on. The trial is in front of you. You stare that trial down and you go through it. You don't move around it. You don't go under it. You don't go around it. You go through it and you face it. Both eyes in front of you, body face that way, and you, it's forward movement always. You must face the trial. He says it in the passage. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy. Face them. Face them head on. Ask the Lord to show you his heart in the trial. The thing with trials is when we face trials, we can get to a point of tremendous exhaustion. You get to a point where you're exhausted because you're praying for something to stop. If you have an issue with a rebellious child, or you have an issue with a, a stubborn person, or your the business is what, is, isn't moving in the right direction, and you're praying, fix it, Jesus, fix it, fix it. You told me to start here. You put me in this place. You fix it, Jesus. You fix it. You fix it. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's tiring, and it wears on you. And then you say, fix it enough, and nothing happens, and then you want to pull away because you don't see it being fixed got to understand the trial. So shift the prayer, shift the dynamic, and then maybe you'll see the full picture. Ask the Lord to show you his heart in the trial. Instead of saying, fix it, Jesus, say, Lord, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to teach me or what are you trying to show me about your heart in this trial specifically? And he always answers on the basis of his heart. If he's been silent, change the questioning, switch it up. He answers on the basis of his heart always, and he'll show you to build something strong, to create a generation, a, a child that can, can stand on the top of mountains. He'll, he'll, he'll show you what the heart is, and in knowing what his heart is, you can endure the trial. You can endure it because he brings you to a place of rest. Does that mean he pulls you out of the trial? No, but it removes the exhaustion. The idea is to not be exhausted in the trial, to endure it. Because he's strengthened you and he's given you the weapons to do it. So, yeah. I had a situation with a very close friend, a very dear friend. We had a knockdown, drag out fight. And we were at odds with each other. 
And I didn't like it. It was partly my fault. And um, I couldn't see past the issue. So I took it to the Lord, and I'm like, Lord, I don't like this. I don't want this to be like this. I want reconciliation. I want restoration here. I want to move forward with my friend. Like, I, I want to move beyond this point. So I'm like, fix it, Jesus. Fix it. Fix it. Now I'm getting tired. I'm getting exhausted because I'm telling the Lord to fix it. He's not answering me on the basis of fix it, and I'm seeing no forward progress. Things are getting worse. It's getting worse. And I'm like, I come to a place, and I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. I no longer want to fix this. I'm out. And I felt like the Holy Spirit told me, it was like, ask me. I was like, what? I'm like, I've been talking to you about fixing it this entire time. What do you mean, ask you? And then he was like, ask me. I'm like, okay, Holy Spirit, what, what should I ask? And he said, ask me about my heart. Ask me my heart for you in this. And I was like, whoa, whoa. I hadn't heard it like that before. You know, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm a warrior, so I go in and I, I attack the problem in the spirit. But sometimes you have to pull back. Don't go into attack mode. Ask. Ask the Holy Spirit what he's trying to do, what he's trying to show you in the trial. So I said, Holy Spirit, what's your heart in this trial? And he said, to build, to build something stronger than it's ever been before. And I was like, whoa. I couldn't fathom that, and I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it in the realm of what was in front of me. It was, I, I, there's no way. Like, we're at odds. That's that stronger. There's no way. I, I'd be lucky just to get in the room. And he was like, to build something stronger than before. And here at Elevate, we know when we hear a word from the Holy Spirit, we don't just take the first word. We chase that word. And we take it all the way down where it goes. Create a dialogue with the Holy Spirit. He's, he's looking to have a conversation with you. He's looking to engage his people. So I asked the Holy Spirit, okay, Holy Spirit, what about Bill stronger than it's ever been before? And he gave me a vision immediately, instantly. This is the clearest I have ever been about this situation. And I was like, that vision was amazing, and there's no way. There's no way. I couldn't fathom the vision. I couldn't fathom what he showed me. He showed a union, but it was, it was, it was like far off. I'm like, there's no way. Like, I can't even get in the room. How is that going to happen? But I can tell you the moment he revealed it to me, the settling came inside. Once I understood the Lord's heart, it brought rest. It brought rest. Did the trial go away? No. Did we reconcile or was, it relate, was, the, was the friendship restored? No. Not right away, but I was able to endure because I had rest because the Lord was doing something, and I understood it. And a couple weeks later, we became good friends again and forward, and then I ended up seeing the vision somewhere down the road. It, everything came to pass. You have to trust God. You have to stand in your trial, endure the trial, and get through to the end because God has greatness there. So ask him what his heart is. He'll show you his heart, and he'll take you beyond it, and he'll always fulfill that promise, like we talked about today in ministry, like Diana dropped today in ministry. Stand on that promise, right? He's not a man that he should lie. That's right. You hold fast to that. So, yeah. To finish by means of the Holy Spirit, you must recognize that great authority, great wisdom, great joy, and great perseverance come when you're victorious in a trial. If you want to know what victory looks like, you have to get on the back end of the trial, you have to get past it because the greatness of the wisdom, the greatness of the joy, and the great perseverance only come once you've finished through the trial, once you're victorious in it. Now, you'll get momentary wisdom. You'll get some joy along the way. You may get a little perseverance, but the completeness of it does not come until you're finished with the trial. You have to take the trial all the way through. Get to the other side of the trial.
Funny story. Seventh grade, I'm going to a Christian school, Florida Bible Christian School. Now, I, tell my, I told my parents, this place was the worst. And I went to some tough places. I went to Carroll City Senior High School. I went to hood schools. But this Christian school, an affluent Christian school, these kids were something else. But I endured some stuff. We're not going to get into all that. I'm going to focus on one story because I got, you know, I got a lot of stories about Florida Bible Christian school. But anyway, in seventh grade, I um, was minding my own business at the back of the class. And we talked about Bible stuff all the time. It's a Bible school. Right? You talk about Bible stuff. And in passing, I had talked to a kid about something in relation to the Bible, faith, God, or whatever. Not in a class setting, just, just spitballing. The teacher presented a question. And then one of the kids pointed to me, and he was like, well, Matt Brown or Matthew Brown says he doesn't believe that. And I'm like, Matthew Brown didn't say anything. He's minding his own business at the back of the class. I didn't say anything. I didn't want any parts of this. And I was like, what? how did I get pulled into that? What? And I'm sitting at the back of the class, and so the teacher asked me, is this true, Mr. Brown? I was like, um, I don't know the question. And she, so she reiterated the question, and I was like, well, this is how I see it, and I just answered based on that. I was calm, I was cool, and then she was like, you're wrong, and this is why. And during the class, now I'm sitting at the back of the class, 20, so like about 27 kids in class, the teacher's in the front. All the kids put their arms on their desks, these are the individual desks, you guys know we all slid into our desks, we had the little bucket at the bottom, you know, old school class. And so the kids put their arms on their chairs and they looked back. And they were like, all of them, all the 27, all faces were turned at me this way. And the teacher is coming for me. And the kids began to ask me questions too. And I'm like, uh, this isn't going to go well for me at some point. During this class, during this entire ordeal, I don't know when it happened, but every kid picked up their desk and turned it around and faced me. So the entire class was reversed. I now became the teacher and they were the students. And the teacher led the charge with the class against me on a, on, a, on a basis of belief or a basis of scripture. So they're gunning at me. I'm standing in front of a firing squad of 28 people. I was 11 or 12 years old at the time. The entire class. And they were, these kids, let me tell you something. They were rough. Like, they came for me. Like, really. They were angry, vicious, and they fired on the basis of Bible and on the basis, and I was just simply answering questions. I was just like, listen, I don't, you know, and I remember what I felt was tremendous fear, tremendous anxiety, and I felt overwhelmed. I wanted to get up and leave, but I couldn't. I felt like I was glued to my chair, and the door was very close to me, and we started to create an audience outside. So we had kids running up, looking in the window, looking in the little glass, you know, the little rectangular glass for the little doors and ours. There's like five kids, they're like, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, this kid here, he's going to get in trouble, and I'm just like... I didn't even want any parts of this. I didn't want to do this. But they put me in this position, and now all of them are gunning at me. And all the kids next to me, you know, my, you know we were all lined in seats. The, the two on each side of me got up and moved away. Like you're by yourself. We're not, you're, you're alone in this. So 28 people gunning at me about it. And what I, what I perceived it as was me trying to prove a point. I thought this was the circumstance. The Lord didn't even reveal to me that this was a trial until later because he was doing something totally different. He was creating a, an authority in me and a joy in me and a perseverance to endure this kind of, 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 of trial 
where people would come for me on the basis of my faith, where groups would come for me on the basis of my faith. In the moment, all I did was answer with what I knew. But I sat through and endured it. And I remember getting up out of the seat, and there was a smile on my face. Nobody won. The kids were extremely frustrated. The teacher just threw her hands up in the air. Nobody won the argument. It you know, wasn't even designed that way. And I was just like, I was smiled because I held my ground. But I remember this tremendous feeling inside of authority and power, and something filled me. I didn't know what it was in the moment. The Lord revealed it to me later because I ran into a circumstance down the line where there were other kids as I got older that would stand against me on the basis of faith groups. 15, 16 kids, they were like, well, we don't believe this and that. And I'm like, well, explain. And I could easily pinpoint, pinpoint, and the feeling of anxiety didn't exist. Fear didn't exist. Doubt didn't exist. For all intents and purposes, it was fun. So what stood for me as a trial that left me overwhelmed and full of fear and anxiety became something that I enjoyed. So the trial, not only did it become victory, but it became something that the Lord had built into me to run. Now this is fun. I'm like, this is fun. Come on, bring it. I'll do this. I can do it. You know, and he built that in me. And I thought that it was just about proving a point, but what he was doing was giving me an authority to be able to sit and stand and face that down whenever it could happen. So I'm not intimidated by that anymore. That no longer intimidates me. He dealt with that with me in seventh grade. It's a rough thing to go through as a seventh grader, I'm just trying to say. But he dealt with me then, and I was able to stand because he knew I had a heart for him. And I, I love to defend faith, and I love to defend based off Scripture. So he built something me in a moment when he saw destiny coming. Your destiny is going to be here. I'm gonna, we're going to take care of this trial right now, and, you're, and it's set. You'll never, that'll never be a trial for you again. And down the line, some years later, um, three, three or four years later, I was in 11th grade. I was at Blockbuster Video. I'm dating myself a little bit. You guys know Blockbuster Video. Come on. I'm not the only one. And so I'm at Blockbuster Video, and um, we're getting ready to go inside, and this girl sees me out of the corner of her eye, and I know she recognizes me. I don't know this person, but she recognizes me, and I tell my sister, I'm like, I think this girl recognizes me. She's like, all right, bro, yeah, it's good. I'm like, no, 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 I don't think it's like that. It's not like that at all. Like, I'm like, no, I don't even know. That's weird. I don't know. She, and then she beelines for me really fast, and she's walking really fast. And I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, what did I do? And then she stops, and she's like, you're Matthew Brown. I was like, whoa, that's freaky. Uh, I'm like, uh, yeah. I, and she was like, you're Matthew Brown from Florida Bible Christian School. I was like, yeah, 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 I am Matthew Brown. Her mom walks up and she was like, mom, this is the, Ma- the, she said, the Matthew Brown. This is the Matthew Brown from Florida Bible Christian School. Her mom leaned over and she's like, I've heard so much about you. Like, heard about me? I didn't, I was... I was not popular at all. None of the kids knew me at all. I don't really know what that meant. You, you heard a lot about me. Her mom goes aside. She's like, Mama, I gotta, I'm going to go rent this video. And she's like, all right, I'm going to come in in a moment. And this girl began to talk to me. She ended up revealing to me she was one of the kids that turned her desk and faced me. And she said she would never forget the day that the class stood against me. And it, 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 it affected her so much to where she was like, she knew my name. She beelined for me. She apologized to me. And I was like, no, nah, I don't even worry about that. Like, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm good. And she, she, she came, and then she was like, what I remember the most, I could, she couldn't remember what, what the discussion was. She just remembered the tremendous peace and power and authority that exuded from me in the moment that I didn't feel at all. 
But that's what she remembered. And it triggered something in her to where she began to, she said that she started working with kids. She said that created something for her to search out the Bible and to do, and to be better, to be able to stand better. See, sometimes you don't know what, that the trial you're facing can affect other people. It can benefit when you get through on the other side. It can have a, I didn't even know that I was entertaining a witness in the trial. So consider that as well, that it's not just about you, but it's also about the people watching. Therefore, we have such a cloud of witnesses. Cast off everything that so easily entangles and the sin and everything. We have people watching, even in the moments we don't recognize. Overcome your trial. Let's show the unbelievers that we can do it because we can. We're empowered to do it. Believe it. Believe it, amen? Don't worry, I have more. <laughs> so next up, so we have understanding the trial, and now we have dead the noise. Dead the noise is exactly the way the Holy Spirit gave it to me. He's like, yo, tell him dead the noise. I'm like, oof, oof. Dead the noise. Dead the noise. Simply put, quiet the voices and emotions that deter you from what you started with the Holy Spirit. Right? Trust God's word, plan, and leading over well-intentioned, well-meaning, and even spirit-led people, even Holy Spirit people. You have to trust God's word first. His word supersedes all other words. It doesn't matter what you've heard. It doesn't matter how Christian or super-Christian or uber-Christian or uber-prophetic or uber-spirit-filled they are. It's irrelevant if the Lord has given you something and you know he's given it to you and they're giving you uh, something that counteracts that. You have to stand on the word God gave you. You have to. That's what you have to do. And there's scriptural references to back that up. Listen. Simply put, if it contradicts the word God has given you, don't listen. Period. Dead the noise. Dead the noise. All right, so we'll go to Paul. Paul was traveling to Jerusalem. He was on his way to Jerusalem, and they were making stops along the way, you know, uh, getting supplies, visiting with other Christians, um, you know, strengthening the people with him, whatever he was doing. And on his journey, he made a couple stops that had significance to his journey to Jerusalem. So on his first stop, we have Acts 21.4. It says, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So these are Spirit-led believers that he lands, and they tell him, hey, we felt something from the Holy Spirit. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Paul was unfazed by that. They were like, okay, we continued on our way. They get back in the boat, and they move further down. They stopped someplace else. They stopped another place, and at the second place they stopped, they faced another similar situation. So verse 10, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. So he goes to one place, people led by the Spirit say, don't go to Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit is, is telling, like, we, we feel bad. There's a bad, there's something in us that's telling us to tell you not to go to Jerusalem. He gets to the next place, and a prophet, an anointed prophet, says to him, listen, the Holy Spirit says this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be bound. You're going to face persecution. You're going to face hardship. It's going to be really bad, you know. 
And so that then triggered the people that he was moving with, his own people that knew his journey, knew his calling, knew his leading. It triggered them to say, hey, don't go. They urged him, don't go. We and the people there both urged him not to go. I love Paul's response. In verse 13, it says, Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. You have to be unmovable and unshakable in the trust of the Lord's leading and in continuing to push forward in the Spirit. You have to be unmovable. You cannot let the shakiness of other people or the other belief, whatever is going on, you cannot allow that to sway you from what you're doing in the spirit. The Lord puts you somewhere. He started you in the business. He started you in the job. He started you in the relationship. He started you in, in your marriage. He started you in your parenting, whatever he started you in. Don't allow the outside voices to come in and throw you off course, even spirit-led people. That would tell you, don't do this, do this, don't do this. But this wisdom says this. It's irrelevant if the Lord is telling you something different. You lean on his voice first. I get it. I know scripture says there's safety in a multitude of counselors. I get it. I understand. But there's also the other side of it. His voice supersedes all others. Lean on the voice of the Lord first. First. And if anything contradicts that voice, dead it. Dead the noise. Because all it is is noise. And it will take you off course, all right? Stay on course. Stay on course, all right? Next one, quiet the emotions. Quiet the emotions. Oh, this one's interesting. Feelings and emotions just are. They determine nothing in the grand scheme of things. They determine nothing in the grand scheme of things. You'll face a whirlwind of perceived negative emotion when navigating your circumstance through the Spirit. Sadness, anger, anxiety, fear, doubt, a feeling of being overwhelmed, etc. They're going to come. Feelings will come. You'll be up, down, left, right. You'll be flipped on your head. You have to push beyond that. This is the time to pull from the strength of heaven, lean on the Holy Spirit, push past the need for inner peace, and press into power. You have to push past the need for a momentary settling inside if you want fullness. You ask the Lord, you want, to, you want him to take you somewhere. You started this thing in the spirit and you want him to take you all the way through to the end. You cannot lean on feeling peace in a moment to get you through the end of your trial, to get you through the end of the circumstance, to get you through the end of what he puts you in. You have to pull peace from someplace else. We'll get into that. But in this moment, you have to push through and you have to pull on his strength. Remember, in your weakest moment, that's where his strength is perfected. His power is perfected in your weakness. So where, you, where you're weak, that's when he is strong. And that's when you pull from him. I can't get through this. I've hit a wall. This, every time I hit this wall, anxiety hits me in a wave. Lord, I just want to step out. Nope. You step back in and you pull on the strength. And you, 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 allow, the, you allow his strength to encompass the anxiety and you push all the way through. And you'll get on the other end. You will finish in the spirit. That's the idea. True story, real, real fact here. I hate roller coasters. I hate roller coasters. I can't stand roller coasters. More importantly, I can't stand drops on roller coasters. I don't mind going upside down. I don't mind that it goes fast. I don't like free-falling drops on roller coasters. Yes, don't judge me. 
I'm just saying. I'm being honest. I'm being vulnerable. This is a vulnerable moment for me. I don't like that, that pit of your stomach feeling when I'm free falling. I cannot stand it. And the anticipation of that thing makes me extremely fearful, anxious, nervous, whatever. Palpitations, I'm sweaty, I don't like it. Every time I step into a ride on the roller coaster, I never really make it all the way through because I'm so anxious. You know, I feel all of these feelings and I'm like, I don't want to do it. I'm overwhelmed, I'm anxious. I'm like, no. And the moment I step out of line, all the anxiety goes. I feel peace. Right? I feel peace in the moment because I never... I didn't have to ride it, but every time I look at it, it stirs up. So I never overcame that thing. And so if I get back in line again, everything rises up. If I step out of line, I have peace. Back in line. So how do we overcome that? I was with a dear friend of mine, and we were in this line called the uh, Incredible Hulk at Universal Studios. The incredible, this thing is called the Incredible Hulk. My goodness, man. And... I saw it, and I'm super intimidated, and I'm like, I walk up to it, and, and, and the person I'm with, they're telling me, listen, it's not that big of a deal. You got this. You can do it. And I'm like, nah, but there's drops, and there's another drop. I don't, I can't, no. And she, you know, and then I was, hey, you're going to do it. And I'm like, okay. And the whole way in the entire line, I'm shaking, I'm fearful, I'm anxious. The whole way, it never left. It never left. I felt anxiety, fear, doubt, even up to the point where they're strapping me in. I thought I was going to black out. And I'm like, is this, is this tight enough? Is this, am I good? I don't want to do this. And the guy's like, you're good. And my friend was like, you're good. You got this. Don't worry. Put your hands up. I'm not putting my hands up. You, I got on the ride, you know. And the, we, we, we climb, and then this thing shoots you out. I don't know if everybody's been on the... So it climbs. It's not like a traditional roller coaster. You go up, and it shoots you 40, 40 miles an hour. It's exhilarating. And my friend was right. I enjoyed it. It was amazing, and I've ridden it a ton of times since. Like, I love The Incredible Hulk now. But I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known that had I not completed it. And every time I saw it, I would have still been intimidated by it, and the anxiety would have still been there. Now... Anytime I get on that ride, you think I feel anxious? Nope. Maybe, maybe a little twinge. But it's like, it's nothing because I've been on it. You know, it's like a residual feeling. But when you get past it, it's no longer a problem. But you have to get all the way through. I had to push past inner peace. Peace wasn't my guiding light. It was overcoming it and getting on the other side. So true peace came that now I can see it and there are no emotions. There's a settling in me. It doesn't throw me off course. It's not about comfort but finishing strong in and through the Holy Spirit. Don't look for comfort. If you're looking for comfort, if you're looking to lean on comfort in your circumstance, you're looking in the wrong place. It's not about comfort. It's about endurance. He's building something. He's creating a strength in you. He's creating a strength in you. Now, he is the comforter. He will bring comfort. But don't lean on comfort. It will come as you endure, as you press through. You know, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. Paul wrote, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul here faced insurmountable obstacles. 
He said here, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, and they despaired of life itself. This man wrote two-thirds of the Bible. This is, this is one of the most powerful people in Scripture, and he said he despaired of life. And he faced things he couldn't even endure. But in the moments of his greatest weakness, in the moments where he could not get by on his own, he pulled from Christ. And he says, we relied not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead, on the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That is what he leaned on, and that's what you have to lean on. It's not about comfort. It's on a reliance of him. He's standing there. He's with you in everything. Lean on him. Hold fast to him. That's what he's there for. That's what he's there. He wants to go with you through this journey. He, he, put, he put a trial in front of you. It's not for you to do it by yourself. He, he, you built this thing with him. You built this relationship. You built the job. You started this thing with him. The idea is to finish with him, not on your own means or not by means of what the world is saying. Right? Find peace in what you've begun in the spirit, no matter the feelings or emotions. You have to find peace. How do you do that? How do you do that when all you feel is anxiety, fear, and doubt? Well, Scripture tells us, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Gives you the formula. Pray, petition God, and give thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is so important. Worship is so important. Come on. Come on. You can't be sad and worshiping at the same time. You can't be in fear and in worship at the same time. That's why it's so important to worship and give God thanks because you can't feel negatively if you're in his presence, if you're seeking to worship. And sometimes you have to pull yourself into that realm. Sometimes it won't happen on its own. You force yourself to do it, and he'll take you beyond that, right? Then in Philippians 4.8, I didn't put it up there, but it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, he tells you the things to think on in your moments of your greatest anxiety. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Those are the things you think about. You think about the things that are lovely. You think about the things that are pure. My marriage is pure. You know, whatever it is that you're pulling from, whatever is lovely, the flowers outside are lovely. You pull on whatever it is that your mind needs to dwell on to pull you out of that, 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 that anxiety or that lack of peace, and that will give you the peace that you need. All right? So our next one, stand, remember, know. Stand, remember, and know. Stand on your promise in God's Word. Find a promise in God's Word and link it to your situation. Find the promise of God's word. So the God started you in this endeavor, started you in this job, started you in this marriage, whatever it is, started you in a relationship. Find the promise. Ask the Lord for the promise that he gives you for this. He's like, Lord, you started me in this job. What's my promise? That your business will take off. You started this marriage, that your marriage would be held as a pinnacle and it would be a testimony to all those around you. That you started this parenting thing, that your children are going to rock the nation for me. But you don't see it now because they're rebellious. Okay, God, now you've lined these promises up. You've lined this thing up, what's going to happen? What do I stand on? Go to your Bible. Grab, the word from the, grab a word from him in his scripture. There's, the scripture is filled with promises. He will give you one if you don't have it. And you take his promise and you take the word and you combine them and you stand on that. That is your firm foundation. That is your grounding. So every time you run into a trial and you're like, I don't think I can make it, remember his promise where he's taking you in this endeavor and remember the word he's attached to it. Remember that word and you will be unshakable.
You'll be unshakable. The word God gave me for me, and I put it in here, Philippians 1.6, is being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That he who began a good work. There was a calling on my life when I was young. I never want anything to do with this. I never saw myself standing in a pulpit doing any of this. Never wanted it. My dad was a pastor and wanted no parts of it. Go flag. No, I don't want it. No, thank you. You can keep it, pops. I don't want it, you know. But God had different plans. And he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it, even in my hiccups, even in my stupidity, even in my mess-ups. Look at where I'm standing today in front of you, ministering to you, getting an opportunity to, to be a blessing and, and to be blessed in the same process. Because he who began a work will take it on to completion. And this isn't the end for me. This is just a part of the story that pushes me through. So I hold on to the word that I have called you and that who, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. So I stand on that. Every time I get a hiccup in this thing, every time I think, Lord, I can't do this, remember the word and remember the promise and stand on that. Stand on your word and stand on the promise he gave you for what you're facing. And you can get through anything. I'm telling you, change your life. I want to talk about my mom for a second in this same endeavor. I, I, my mom is a, a woman of tremendous faith. She was here this morning, and um, she was diagnosed with cancer. My mom was diagnosed with cancer. It rocked us um, pretty tough because this woman is like so, so powerful in the Lord. And um, she, she, she ended up with surgery, and they ended up removing the mass. And so we're like, okay. And then they ran the test. They, they did the lymph node check, and they found cancer in the lymph nodes. So it had metastasized to her body. And so now they put her on chemo regimen, and it's devastating her body. She was devastated. She, I talked to her, and she was, she was like, it's killing me, son. That was the hardest thing. You're talking to my mom, and she sounds so weak. This woman, this strong woman, is, is devastated by chemo. So she came to a place, and she was like, I'm done with chemo. I'm ending it. I'm done. You know, I'm... I know my birthright as a daughter of the highest, and this isn't it. This is not it. So I'm not doing, this thing will not kill me. Not this way. So I'm going to rely, I'm going to pull from a different source. So she cut chemo, not with the doctor's approval, but she cut chemo, and she began to press into her word. And she prayed until God gave her a promise, and her promise was, you are healed. That was her promise. Now, did her symptoms go away? No. Did they get better? No. Matter of fact, she, the only, she started to get better because she got off of chemo, but everything was still pushing to where this thing was killing her. But every time I would talk to her, so encouraging. She, I was like, Mom, how are you doing? She's like, you know, I have this, 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 and that, but I'm healed, son. I'm healed. That, 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 that woke me up like faith, like never before. I was like, wow, like, God, you're going to have to show up. You know, you're going to have to show up. And so she, she would tell me, I'm healed, and then she found a word in Scripture that attached to her healing, and it was in 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live forever, live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. She's like, son, by his wounds, you have been healed. I have been healed. I have been healed. Every time she would say, she, was, she would say, Lord said, I'm healed. I have been healed. Do I feel good? No, but I have been healed. You know, she would attach the word to the promise, and she walked every day. And then one day she called me. She's like, I have to go to the doctor. I'm really symptomatic. 
today, and I was like, oh, God. I'm like, I prayed with her, and she goes to the doctor, and she's not feeling good at all. No trace of cancer in her body. No trace of cancer in her body. Gone. Right? Did she feel better in the moment? Did the, did the symptoms leave? Nope. But she held fast to the word that God gave her, and she attached it to a promise in his word. And she was able to stand on that. She stood on hope. But the symptoms didn't leave. The pain didn't go. But she found tremendous peace and comfort in that, in her trial, in her struggle, in what the Lord, and he took her all the way through and she finished in the spirit. And that's how it works and that's what it looks like. Come on. Next up, remember God's goodness. Remember God's goodness. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So, key word here is all things, not some things, not partial things, but all things are working together for your good. If you love God and you are called, and let me, let me just tell you, just in case you don't know, if you are a believer, if Jesus is Lord for you and you have the Holy Spirit, let me tell you something. All things are working for your good. All things, right? Because you love God and you are called. All believers are called. So every situation, every circumstance, bad, good, left, right, up, down, it doesn't matter. It's working for your good. And you have to hold on to that, that all things are working together for good. All things. Not some things. And let's look at the, let's look at the goodness of God and some of the people in the Bible. Abraham and Sarah, child in their old age and living to see him grow up. Enoch, raptured. He didn't even taste death. Joseph, favor and bondage in prison and raised to the second most powerful person in Egypt. David, anointed king at a young age, became king, and then the Lord preserved his generations because of David. Even through wickedness in his line, he preserved that line because of the faithfulness of his, of his servant David, right? Esther, favor with a perverted, wicked king and used to save an entire nation. Daniel, lion's den, Shut the mouths of lions. He survived overnight in a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego survived in a fiery furnace. It killed the guards, but not the people who were in it. What would God do for you? That's the goodness for his people. How much more so for people that claim the blood of Jesus, right? You have a better testimony today because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for you, right? He lives. He lives. And he's in heaven right now. Come on. So, yeah. Remember the breakthroughs and the faithfulness of God in your life. Remember the breakthroughs. You, everyone has a breakthrough. God has done something for you. Pull on those things. Pull on the positive. Pull the positive pinata rope and watch the candy come out. Right? You know the pinatas with the little thing. Find the positive ones. Find the good ones. Pull on those. And they will, they will, they will keep you to get through. Because the Lord has done, he's, he's done tremendous things in your life, you know? And if you can't remember any, he woke you up this morning. There's one. I got one. He woke me up this morning. He got me to church this morning. Whatever, whatever it is, pull on it. Be determined to see his goodness in your business, in your job, in your relationship, in your marriage, in parenting, in school, and whatever it is. Be determined to see his goodness and know that he defines it. It may not be how you see it, but he defines it. He defines goodness. You don't. You may see it as one way. He may see it as something else. Trust him. God always knows best. 
Very simple. Psalms 27, 13, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You will see the goodness of the Lord. You have to be confident of that. David was. Be confident that you will see the goodness of the Lord. If you have to write it on an on a, on a, on a, on a index card and stick it to your bathroom mirror, say it to yourself. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. If he could do it for David, he'll do it for you. Right? We don't want it in the sweet by and by. We want it now. Right? Times are hard. I want to see the goodness of the Lord now. And you strive through whatever you have to do, whatever your, your endeavor is, whatever your circumstance is, and you get through so you can see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Right? Know you are more than conquerors. It's very simple. Know you are more than conquerors. Romans 8, 34 to 35 and 37, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. We just talked about that. He's seated, interceding over whatever your situation is. You think no one's praying for you? You think no one's interceding on your behalf or your circumstance? Jesus is in heaven right now interceding on behalf of his believers, on behalf of his children all the time. Right? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You have to know in your knower. My mom says it to me just like that. She's like, son, you have to know in your knower. You have to know in your knower that God's doing this. You have to know in your knower that God told you to do this. And you have to know in your knower that you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. You guys are conquerors. If Jesus is Lord in your life and you have the Holy Spirit, you are a conqueror. You are unbeatable, unshakable. I don't care if you had a tough day or, you, you, man, I just, man, I think the enemy beat me up. Who cares? You are more than a conqueror. It's not about the reality. It's about the truth. The truth says you're a conqueror. Lean into truth. Push past whatever reality looks like and lean into the truth. And you are more than conquerors. Hold fast to that. In closing our recap, understand the trial, endure it, and push through it. Know that the purpose of the trial, know that the purpose of your trial is to end trials forever, to end trials so you never have to face them again. So face them head on and get through them. And ask the Lord's heart. If you're in a tough place and you just can't see hope, ask him his heart if he puts you there. And he will tell you what his heart is and lean into that. And it will remove the exhaustion. It'll remove the, the wear that's on the body, and, it, and he can bring you to a place of rest. You want to be at rest in these things. Does that mean the trial will end? No. But you can endure it if you have rest. Get to a place of rest. Dead the noise. Quiet the dissenting and dissuading voices that would throw you off course. Dead the noise. I don't care if they're the most well-meaning, well-intentioned, spirit-filled, prophetic Super prophetic, uber prophetic, can, can speak the walls down. It's irrelevant. If what they're saying contradicts what the Lord has already told you, don't listen to it. Dead the noise, period. Because his voice supersedes all other voices. All other voices. And, you, and if you know that he's giving you a leading and he's pushing you in a direction, you have to stay on course. Because what's on the other side of that is greatness. Now... People can feel something. People in the spirit can feel something. It's not so much what they feel, but it's the direction that they give you. They can be right about part of it. Scripture says we prophesy in part. 
So you have to understand and you have to take that to the Holy Spirit and know how to navigate it. But if he's told you, go here, and someone's telling you, don't, someone's wrong and it ain't Jesus. Just saying. Stay on course. Stay on course. All right? Stand on your promise in God's word. Stand on your promise. It is your firm foundation. You get the word that he's given you in your situation. Lord, what is it for my marriage? What is it for my job? You get that word and you find the promise in scripture and you take those and you put them together. And you will be unshakable. And every time you face a trial or a hard time, you lean on that. You lean on the word and the promise and you will be unmovable. They are pillars. They are foundation. And you can, you can conquer anything. Remember God's goodness and faithfulness. Very simple. Remember the goodness of the Lord and that you will see it in the land of the living. And remember that your God is faithful even when you're faithless because guess what? He can't deny himself. It's in his nature. He can't deny his own nature. So you will see goodness and he will remain faithful. Come on. Know that you are more than a conqueror. Know that you are conquerors. Come on, Christian. You are conquerors. You are conquerors. That is that, I don't know, that's self-explanatory. You are more than, not just a conqueror. He says you're more than a conqueror. More than a conqueror. Like, what? Like, so I'm not just a conqueror, Jesus? I can, I'm more than, yeah, yeah, you're more, you're more. He says you're more than a conqueror. Come on. And lean on the Lord's strength and power. Lean to him. Pull from his power. Realign with what you started in Jesus. If you started something in the spirit and you've pulled yourself off course, realign, step back in. Step back in. If you, if you found yourself off course or if you, you, you started to pull from something and, and it feels good in the moment, but you know it's different from what the Lord has told you, step back in, align with, what, um, align with what you started in Jesus and finish strong in the spirit. He will take you all the way through. He will take you through to the righteous end. And let me tell you something, it'll be better than anything the world has for you. It'll be better than anything this world has ever seen. And you have to trust him. And it may not look right, but that's okay. He doesn't operate on what looks right. Because the wisdom of the world is foolishness to him. So we don't care about their wisdom. We care about his guiding and his leading. So lean into the spirit. Pull on power and watch victory come. All right? Amen? That's what I have for you today. All right? Let me, let me bless you. Let me bless you guys. You guys are awesome. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord grant you peace and may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. We have a prayer team available. Please get some prayer. Thank you, guys.